Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach And within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I'm so grateful to have a genius doctor on with me, Dr. Gregory Lutz. I actually asked my brother before the podcast if he had heard of Dr. Lutz, and some of you might know my brother is a PT, and John's first phrase was, oh my gosh, he is a badass, and he truly is. Dr. Lutz is brilliant. He's the founder of the Regenerative Sports Care Institute, a physiatrist-in-chief at the Hospital for Special Surgery. He's a pioneer in regenerative orthopedic medicine, so we talk about what that means. And what it really comes down to is helping you, helping your back pain without surgery or medication. His new book, Heal Your Disc in Your Pain, really goes into that. And we talk a little bit about his book today and just his journey into figuring out this life-changing relief for so many patients. We also bond on noticing how functional movement is so important for a healthy spine. You need to get out of your seat, move around, get the disc unloaded, and don't just exercise, but pay attention to your form. So as you know, Lit Yoga, we really pay attention to form for this very reason. We want to keep you healthy. But if you are suffering from back pain or know anybody who is, make sure you tune in, get his book, and enjoy my talk with Dr. Lutz. Well, welcome, Dr. Lutz. I'm so honored and happy to have you on today. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. Looking forward to discussing how to heal your disc. Yes, healing your disc. Huh. Boy, this could be the multi-million dollar answer right here. But let's first uh, backtrack. I really want to talk about how you became a doctor, how you how you decided um, that you wanted to work 
in this particular field in orthopedics and um, physiatry, maybe you can also explain a little bit of the difference because people hear those terms and they might not know that they are different. How did you decide to go into this? You know, when I was um, in high school, I wanted to be a state trooper, New Jersey <laughs> state trooper. And my dad, who was a physician, he said, that's fine, but if you are even thinking about going to college, you know, you better go now because this is when I'm going to pay for it. So I, I went to college and took him up on his offer. And then I just got really interested in science. I, you know, I always liked science a lot. And um, I was a psychobiology major in college. And then I went to, I was lucky enough to get into med school at Georgetown, which was a great clinical medical school. And then, you know, I actually talk about my path towards regenerative orthopedic medicine in the uh, first chapter of the book. And it was really just, you know, seeing what I really liked was the office practice of orthopedics. And I liked surgery, but I just felt like it was so destructive and it was so repetitive that I wanted to be in a more broad field. And so when I was in med school at Georgetown, I ran, I had a two week rotation in uh, physiatry or physical medicine and rehab. And the physiatrist had been an orthopedic surgeon who transferred into uh, physiatry. And I asked him why. And he said, you know, I like medicine, I like neurology, I like orthopedic practice. And and it kind of resonated with me. And he said, if you, if you want to go into the specialty, go out to Mayo Clinic. And that's how it all started. And the, I've, I've enjoyed it. And I think the combination of, you know, interventional orthopedics with regenerative medicine is the future of musculoskeletal care. And it's and it's here. We've been practicing this now for over 12 years, and we've learned a great deal about how the body has an amazing capacity to heal itself. And drugs and surgery are usually palliative at best. They're not usually a cure. And I think that, you know, 90% of things can be treated without drugs and surgery. So... I think that's so interesting. I was lucky to grow up with an orthopedic surgeon who had this sensibility and he would really try and avoid, especially spine surgery, because he said, you know, I can't remember the exact statistics, but he was like, you know, 60% will not get better. 30% will get worse and only 10% might get, you know, better in the terms of you know, less pain and possibly more function. But those aren't really good odds. And yet it's still... Um, I think a first choice for a lot of people. So can you can you give an example if someone has come to you as opposed to another orthopedic surgeon who I'm not saying all of them will do it, but are looking to go in and fix the problem with surgical intervention, what would be the difference? I mean, and this is this is done conversation, but just so people can really understand if I had pain that was radiating down in my leg and it was showing that I had some kind of discogenic issue that one surgeon said we can just remove that disc or take out part of it what would you what's the difference in what you're offering so i think the the main difference is that we're going to approach things first non-surgically and you know like the the analogy i give my patients is that if you have pneumonia they don't cut your lung out you know you really want to preserve the disc if it, if at all possible because you know, the disc is really the heart of the spine. Like each spinal segment has this nice 
gelatinous um, structure, which provides you know our ability to move. If we were just a a single bone, we couldn't do all the dynamic activities that we do. And so, the way we would approach you know disc herniations is you know we would do a really good history and exam, make sure that it is coming from your spine, and then we would do a confirmatory MRI to make sure that we know exactly which disc is the problem. And then traditionally, we would, you know, do image-guided um, injections of anti-inflammatory medication around the disc and nerve, and then combine it with a really appropriate spine rehab. And and really, those injections give you windows to heal on your own. And the big paradigm shift that's occurred in my practice over the past 10 years is that we're really even moving away from using steroids. And we're really moving towards using your own cells because your own cells have multiple functions and one of them is anti-inflammatory, but it's also pro-healing. And so so the beauty of using something um, that's called PRP or platelet-rich plasma is that it's really, it's a very high concentration of your healing cells and proteins directly where the problem is. And it's a very safe procedure with, you know, really profound results. How did that that um, understanding and I guess experimentation begin? Was it with the body? Was it with the skin? With I mean, I know it was with collagen. Where did that start? I mean, we I, I've heard about it. I've I've heard people getting it in their knee and their hip. So it, it, so it really yeah. started more in the um, dental and veterinary medicine worlds. And I was introduced to PRP um, because we have a farm and we have horses and the vets would come out and, you know, basically take, you know, 50, 60 milliliters of blood, spin it in a centrifuge and then inject it into a partially torn tendon. And the once lame horse would be running around like a pony in about three to four weeks. And so when you see these very objective results with you know, you know these really magnificent animals, and it was it was a one of the vets in Princeton area, uh, Daniel Dr. Daniel Keenan, who said you should be doing this on your patients, and I said you're absolutely right, and so, so the first patient I ever did uh, was up at HSS Hospital for Special Surgery, and he had he was a 70 year old tennis player who had a really bad tear of his Achilles tendon, but it wasn't completely torn. It was about 70% torn. And he had come into my office on the very first day I got my first PRP kit. (laughs) And he had been in a cam walker for months. He had a cardiac condition, was scared of surgery, didn't want surgery. Um, His background was that he was a hedge fund manager. So he had invested in a PRP company. So it was a kind of, he goes, why won't anybody do this? And, and I said, well, you know, it's new. And he goes, you know, I think it's safe. Don't you? And I said, yeah, it's your own cells. So, so we actually, uh, he, he, um, we injected him that day. This is 12 years ago. And in, in a few weeks he came back with no pain. And so I looked under ultrasound, and it looked like it was starting to heal, so I injected him again. And then he came back completely cured. And we put him put him in the MRI, and his Achilles looked totally normal. 
And so that was a, my first experience with using PRP on a tendon. And it wasn't hard to make the leap into the spine, into a disc, because the same collagen that makes up a tendon makes out makes up the outer rings of a disc. And we know that that's where a lot of painful tears reside. And that's really, you know, the number one cause of back pain are so, these unhealed tears. Unhealed tears. So can you um, briefly explain, because you hear this all the time, I slipped my disc, my disc is herniated, I have a bulging disc, this MRI showed that. What When people hear that, can you just, um, from, from your medical perspective, explain what are the differences of those? Sure. So, you know, like, if you think about lower back pain, um, there are many different causes, but by far the most common cause is a problem with one of your discs, usually at the lower levels. I would say at least 50% of back pain is caused from a disc problem. And it really begins with a with a tear. If you think of the disc as like a radial tire with a gelatinous core, you, you've 20 concentric fibrous rings, which keep that jelly contained. And with, you know, aging, in, injury, you know, chronic sitting, you know, these these rings can weaken. And when they tear, the the internal blood supply to a disc is very poor. So unlike your skin, which heals beautifully, your discs don't heal. And and then there's now this growing data that um, when these discs tear, there can be an ingrowth of blood vessels, which brings the bacteria. And then the bacteria causes the disc to get painful and degenerate further, which is really you know, completely new um, information. But but if the tear gets big enough, then the disc can start to protrude. And think of a, a protrusion as like a pimple in the back of the disc. Or it can bulge, which is kind of like a, you know, like a blowout on a tire a little bit. And then if it totally tears, then you get an extrusion of disc into the spinal canal, which can cause a nerve to get not just painful, but injured. And then you can also have... Um, a disc that's kind of free floating in the canal. So, so you think of a disc herniation as four types: a bulge, a protrusion, an extrusion, and a sequester fragment. And so, and it's all stages of severity. And if you could intervene early and fix the tear, then you don't get the degeneration, and the, then you may not progress to a, a full extrusion or a sequester fragment and a nerve injury. So. So we're really changing the paradigm and how we think about how to intervene early, create some healing, and hopefully prevent, you know, um, what's referred to as the degenerative cascade where your disc degenerates and your spine starts to crumble. Yes. So on that note, um, I think people think of disc, think of spine, and, and a lot of times if there is some kind of malady, there's this sense of weakness or crumbling, there's fear. There's so much fear. And, you know, and, and when you hear like my, I mean, I'll get somebody who's like, I, they get very identified. I have, you know, L4, L5 uh, bulging disc. And, and I'm like, okay. You know, but it, then, then there's this fear of movement. There's this fear of, of doing anything. And I think that's why a lot of people will then turn to a quick solution like surgery because they, the fear, I think, compounds whatever other symptoms are there. And it sounds like what you're doing is similar to kind of John Sarno uh, back pain, just this. He talks a lot about how much of back pain is also 
inciting this amygdala, this fear, this stress response that then is like this, you know, puts you into this cycle of fear, pain, fear, pain. And if, but with you, I think what you're looking at is the body's able to heal. We just have to give it um, like this intervention that isn't, you, you mentioned in surgery, I, I forgot the word you used, but destructive. So when you say, I, I wasn't sure if you meant it was destructive for you because you're, it's hard on your body, but when you said destructive, what what is destructive about surgery versus this kind of intervention, which I think is obvious, but, you know, can you lay out for anybody? Because I, I have people ask me daily, oh, I'm thinking, I mean, they're younger than me. I'm going to get cervical fusion, cervical this. I'm like, have you tried other things? Because this is not something you backtrack from. Well, and that, that's the whole point of this book is to kind of get the word out um, about you know, really cha- changing the paradigm away from drugs and surgery to to regenerative medicine. Because, you know, if there's one area of medicine that can offer um, hope to patients, it's regenerative medicine. And and sometimes the the solutions to such complex problems, such as chronic lower back pain, can be so elegant and simple as just taking your own cells precisely guiding them in with a high concentration to kind of start that healing process. That's really all it is. And the safety and the efficacy has been, you know, very, very good. And so trying to intervene early is always the key. And like you said, when you when you have that fear response, you know, you put your body in that fright and flight mode. And and when you're in that fright and flight mode, your threshold to perceive pain is lower. You're more aware. And it doesn't create the problem, just makes your ability to deal with it more difficult. And so I think, you know, what patients should feel is that their spine is stable, it's not going to crumble, and we finally have a treatment that can really prevent downstream problems. And Mm -hmm. the key is early screening and early intervention. And I think that, you know, when I was in med school, you know, that I can remember you know, the diagnosis on the chart was low back pain, but that's not a diagnosis. That's a symptom. Uh-huh. And, you know, now we're very specific in trying to get an accurate diagnosis up front, just like any other area of medicine where an accurate diagnosis is so important. And now we have treatments that aren't a spinal fusion for patients, which are, you know, these are just simple outpatient procedures that take less than an hour. And I think that, you know, trying to get the word out to patients about um, intradiscal PRP is, is really the goal of the book. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about the segments of the spine. Can you explain um, why there are certain areas of the spine that are more vulnerable to uh, disc degeneration or damage or problems? You know, there's, there's many... Um, predisposing factors for patients that can cause your disc to degenerate. And there's certain things that you can, you know, intervene and and avoid, such as smoking, you know, being overweight, sitting for hour after hour without pressure relief, um, trying to avoid trauma, like fall, you know, falls and sports injuries. Um, particularly, we see a lot of patients that get injured in the weight room you know, doing, you know, deadlifts and power squats, super heavy, going too heavy too quickly that their bodies just can't keep up and they overload their discs and they 
they blow it out like a tire. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that the reason the lower back is most susceptible is because there's more load on those areas with our daily activities. Plus our body weight, you know, half our body weight is, is resting on those lower discs. And that's, that's why the L4-5, L5-S1 levels are the most common. And so, you know, we're really made to move and we're not made to sit all day. And I think that, you know, our jobs and our electronic, you know, um, devices keep us very stationary. And the pandemic only added fuel to the fire, you know, so because everybody was home, they weren't exercising. And I think that, you know, the foundation of, any spine treatment program is always a, a really good exercise program. And that's that's something that we preach as a physiatrist. That's great. Well, you know, I'm, I'm right there for that. Um, I'm really curious, how much pushback have you gotten from doctors who are taking the more, um, I don't want to say traditional, but just the route that you started to take and, and how much are insurance companies supporting this? Because I think this will be really important for people that are listening who then maybe talk to another doctor and they might say something different. Like, is has there been pushback or are people really excited about it? Well, there, there are a lot of like-minded physicians like myself practicing interventional orthobiologics. And, and so, you know, I'm giving a, a talk at a national conference ne uh, next week out in Phoenix and how to optimize outcomes with intradiscal PRP. And there'll probably be hundreds of physicians there. But the, the hospitals and the physicians that rely on, you know, drugs and surgery, you know, there's always going to be pushback. Um, but what's good about this is that patients realize that the outcomes of traditional treatments for lower back pain aren't very good. And, you know, who wants to be on opioids? Who wants a spinal fusion? And I think the problem was that we had nothing better to offer patients up until we started doing these procedures and learning how well they work and how safe they are. And, you know, it takes time for the medical establishment to change. And one of the examples I gave in the, in the book was um, peptic ulcer disease. And... You know, we, you know, the, the big dogma at, at the time was that, you know, ulcers were from stress and foods and those sorts of things. And then these um, physicians, uh, John Marshall, um, actually noticed that there was a particular bacteria, um, H. pylori. H. pylori. I had that. Right. Yeah. And Which so is H. very common, and especially in other parts of the world, but yeah. So, so he was preaching that he thought, because he, he did biopsies of the stomachs of his patients and, and saw this particular overgrowth of bacteria. And and every, he was like, you know, ostracized from the medical community for bringing out this idea that bact a bacterial overgrowth could be causing peptic ulcer disease. And he, it got to the point where he actually ingested the bacteria himself to prove that it caused Peptic and, you know, then 10 years later, he got the Nobel Prize for his discovery of H. pylori. And now it's it's really, you know, become the treatment is, is to treat it, the overgrowth of bacteria. That's the cure. And I think that that's been the problem with 
you know, chronic lower back pain is there, there never has been a root cause treatment for degenerative disc disease. And yeah. I think that, you know, that's what I'm so excited about to share the message is that we do have a root cause treatment and it's really, it's a special type of PRP that we inject into tears inside the disc to promote healing. And what we've noticed is that the PRP should also have a very high concentration of your bacteria fighting white blood cells. And so we think we're actually killing two birds with one stone. We're creating healing with the proteins from the platelets, but we're also suppressing the overgrowth of bad bacteria inside the disc that may be causing the disc to become so painful and inflamed and degenerate. And so that, I think, is something that is quite unique about what we're offering patients. So when you've done this um, over the last 12 years, uh, how, how do you, I'm sure, are you seeing this all through imaging, the changes in the disc after, you, after it's been injected? That, that, and that's the remarkable part, because it's not just pain relief. We're seeing structural changes of healing of these tears or these protrusions. And, and that, if you can have a treatment that creates structural changes, it's a cure. And mm. that's really what we're um, really very excited about. And, and we're just, we're continually looking at ways to improve the outcomes. Like when we did our first double-blind study, our success rate, you know, was about 60% in the treatment group versus like 18% in the control. But now, um, in our latest study, we have the success rate over 80% just by simply increasing our abilities to concentrate to higher levels using a different PRP system. And then we've also um, invented a very um, flexible catheter to, to place through a needle inside the disc to deliver the cells directly in the periphery of the disc, which is really where these painful tears reside. And we think that's going to really change outcomes for the better. And, and we're looking to do a new study with the combination of the, of the high-concentration leukocyte-rich PRP with this discath, which is the catheter. And we think that's going to give us really good outcomes. That's incredible. Is there any um, evidence that this would be great prophylactically? Like knowing that over time, even if we have beautiful posture, we're not sitting so much, there, there's going to be some inevitable wear and tear to that outer ring. Do you, do you see this eventually being something you could just kind of come in for maintenance or is that not like there are there any, I guess, um, possible precautions or that, that can side effects that, that, that do, wouldn't warrant just a prophylactic use of it? Not prophylactic, you know, but that, preventative. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that if we, we see so many patients with degenerative spines that affect their quality of life. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's the center, then, it's your center axis. Right. Everything is residing and, and stay. I mean, the spine in many ways, as mobile as it is, structurally needs to be really quite stable for all the different movement variability. So, yeah, it's it's massive when, when that's an issue. So go ahead. I'm just... Re and so, like, and like the longest uh, follow-up I have is 12 years on a patient. And that first patient I treated fell off a roof, blew out his L4-5 disc, and 
you know, had severe pain, was looking at a fusion. We did the intradiscal PRP and he's been great. And his follow-up MRI shows no degeneration at all. And I think that when I look at other patients we've treated, it really depends on when they come in to see you. And, you know, if the disc has minimal degeneration with a tear, it's easier to treat than a disc that is really flat, like a flat tire. Once it gets to that point, then there's not much we can do. So I think we're at, right now we're only treating patients with, you know, moderate to severe pain that's been refractory to conservative care for more than three months. But your point is a good one. And I think if people are starting to have symptoms of back pain, you know, what's the harm? Get an MRI, let's look at it and see if there's something we can do to intervene early to try to limit the downward um, degeneration that usually occurs when the disc gets injured. And so, and then, you know, combine it with all the health things. You know, there's a lot about the microbiome and the gut disc access, you know, with patients, you know, you know, so really looking at nutritional strategies, exercise strategies, you know, don't smoke or cut back on your smoking at the very least, because studies show the more cigarettes, the more disc degeneration. It's really linear relationship. And then, you know, don't sit all day, get up, move around every 30 minutes, you know, just a pressure relief. And I think, um, so what's nice about this is you're, you are preaching health, wellness, and, you know, we're moving further and further away from drugs and surgery in our practice. I love that. I love that. You were starting to mention some things, but are there any other recommendations to keep the, the spine healthy? Obviously not sitting. Um, you were mentioning not smoking, you know, watching weight management because more weight is going to put more pressure. It's just, you know, it's putting more pressure on your joints that includes your spine. But any other tips in terms of like, or maybe moves you really like or moves to avoid, if at all possible? I, I really like weight training, but I think it has to be, um, you think of the, think of the exercises that create a high compressive load with strong muscles like a leg press, a power squat, a deadlift. You know, I know those are very popular movements, but they have to be done in a gradual, progressive way with perfect form to be safe. And the problem I see is I see these football players in high school trying to deadlift 400 pounds and they're like 16, 17 years old and they've never done it before. And and then they, they tear a disc and then they're living with that pain. And so, you know, I think there's things like, you know, things that distract you like pull-ups and, you know, those sorts of things are perfect exercises for your spine. I, I really do like Pilates and yoga, but even those, like with yoga, you still have to be careful. I do see a lot of yoga injuries if patients are not instructed in the proper form, because a lot of extremes of flexion and rotation can, can cause maybe a weakened disc to pop. Mm-hmm. And so I see that scenario occasionally. So I think it should be done with really good instruction and, and again, gradual, progressive, you know, incremental improvement um, is always the best way to start exercise. I love that. Thank you. Yes, you'll have to try Let Yoga and see how we're different in that way for sure. Um, Let's talk about your book now. Okay, first of all, you were going to be a state trooper and then you became a physician and then you decided to not do surgery, and now you're like writing a book. Like you are just like a, a man of many talents. Because um, I'm trying to write a book. I know a lot of people who, like, how did you decide to write a book? How did you do it? 
I guess, why did you decide? To, I mean, I know why, but like, it's it's not just something you sit down and do. It's like compiling a lot of information and for you making it palatable for people to read um, that that might not be, have any idea about what a disc is, et cetera. So what was the inspiration behind that? No, I, I, you know, I really wanted to get the word out on intradiscal PRP. And I think um, I really probably would have never written a book if it wasn't for the pandemic. Because, you know, we were shut down for three or four months. And, mm -hmm. but that pandemic pause, you know, gave me time to kind of organize my thoughts, you know, reflect on the message. And, you know, I worked with a great company called Scribe. I have to say, you know, they were, they, they've been great to work with. If you ever want to write a book, you know, I think Scribe is a nice way to kind of get started. Cause I, I knew, I knew nothing about how to write a book, but it's been a really interesting journey. I think I've learned a lot and I think what I've tried to, to do with the book is make it understandable, but, but the message is very simple. You know, most lower back pain is from your disc and it's usually an unhealed wound inside your disc. And so people get wound healing and all we're doing is trying to help that wound heal with your own cells. And, and then, like you said, if you can see an MRI pr prior to treatment and, it, and the tear disappears on the MRI, it's so convincing because it's not just pain relief. We're creating structural changes inside the disc. And, and to, to go back to one of your other questions, you know, right now, most regenerative treatments are not covered by insurance because, you know, insurance companies are slow to pick up on newer treatments. And so they, they deem them experimental. So it takes time. It takes a lot of data and, um, you know, you, you really, what we want to do is to do a FDA trial with intradiscal PRP. And so right now we're meeting with the FDA um, and looking at how many patients they want us to do in a study. And then we'll look to, at ways to raise money to do the study. And, and all the proceeds from the book are going to our research. And so that's one way to raise money. Other ways are, you know, to, to have investors and those sorts of things. <clears throat> but if you can get, if you can do a study with, with FDA um, oversight and show safety and efficacy, then you can get a claim. And once you get a claim, then you'll get the CPT code from insurance, from the AMA to go ahead and get reimbursement. And so when you think about, you know, the process, it's a long road, you know, and it's, it's, it, it's takes a lot of, uh, grit and determination. Oh, and I would say Pat and, and conviction because you know like you could be sitting back popping out doing a knee every day like five knees a day and you're doing something that has a much more profound i'm not saying you know but it but it has the potential to really impact millions of people and without cutting them open you know and that's that's really um that that's that's deter that's that's a vision you know that you have to have and i and i I think on this regard, for people listening who would immediately 
like just bounce out if if insurance isn't covering like what what is your life what is your life and joy worth it should be kind of priceless i think that we need to spend money on ourselves first our health and because if you're not enjoying life if you're not enjoying um if you have pain in your back you know that it just can take over everything and it really limits you and it then starts to limit your pers- kind of perspective of what you can do um and so i think that's priceless that being said are you looking to recruit people for this study? <laughs> yes, eventually we will. Once we get, you know, we're we're in that process of defining um, the criteria and also the number of patients. And so, um, and and one of the reasons I opened uh, RSI, which is the, the Regenerative Sports Care Institute in New York, was p- specifically to offer an environment that was more cost effective to do these procedures than in the hospital setting where the cost is at least double. And so, because these, these procedures can be done as an outpatient in a um, special um, regenerative medicine therapeutic suite, which is nice. And so I think that, so, so we bundle care, we make it more cost effective because we can control that cost in our own private clinic. And I think that's what a lot of physicians are doing. Most of these procedures are done outside a hospital setting. And so just because that issue, because the cost is just so high, um, but we know we've got it to, uh, the way I tell patients is like you said, this is an investment in your health and it's really no different than the out-of-pocket expenses if you went for a spinal fusion. Like they don't get that, right? Right. So, you know, your insurance doesn't cover everything. These these surgeries and hospitalizations are $100,000, you know, like it's a lot of money. So your out-of-pocket expenses are very high. And so and I think that that's one way of giving perspective. And in the and recovery from it, you're probably losing something out, whether it's be, not being able to go to work. I mean, there's there's, oh, a, there's yes. a loss, whether it, it's a transactional loss of some kind, whether it's dollar amount or enjoying life and your energy. So it's, I mean, I think this is kind of like one of those, duh, you know, like if you can do something to help you that is not... Um, Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. It's cutting you open. That is like a very, that, that, that is, I love this whole idea of regenerative care. It, so regenerative care, um, do you see this like being its own kind of umbrella in years to come or is it already in that position? You know, it's a, it's good. At, you know, regenerative medicine is, is probably the fastest emerging field um, inside medicine currently, N- not just for orthopedic conditions, but for other you know neurologic conditions and you know, cardiac. I mean, it's really interesting, um, and I think it's going to be a kind of an interdisciplinary specialty that is 
is going to be subspecialized in orthopedics or cardio cardiology, those sorts of things. Um, but it's really, it's. And regenerative like is, yeah, I'm sorry. Regenerative just defined means that you're doing something that's helping your body heal itself. Is that correct? How you would say, okay. You're using your, you know, most, you know, under, under the current FDA guidelines, uh, we're allowed to use your cells from you on the same day with what's referred to as minimal manipulation, meaning we can centrifuge them and, and concentrate them, but we really can't culture them in a lab and put them back into you. We can't take other people's cells and put them into you. You know, those sorts of um, regenerative treatments would have to go through a full FDA trial. But PRP, since it's, just, it's a blood product that we take the same day and it's yours, it's not considered a drug. And as long as you are operating under those guidelines, um, we can treat you right now in what's called uh, off-label fashion, meaning you know, in the trusting doctor-patient relationship, if we think this is your best, safest option in 2023, in the confines of my office, I can say, I think intradiscal PRP is your best option for degenerative disc disease. You know, as a company, if we have a company that's making a claim without an FDA trial, you can't do that. Yeah. But a doctor, a physician, can, we can treat in that mutual trusting relationship. And that's basically, you know, we've, we've treated well over a thousand patients and, it, and it's all in an off-label fashion, but it's all through just word of mouth, patients explaining it to them. Um, and most patients that come to me have been told by one or two surgeons, you need a spinal fusion. And they're, they're coming to me for the alternative. Mm -hmm. And so it, it becomes a no-brainer when, when the patient's looking at a very invasive, risky, uncertain outcome spinal fusion versus a simple outpatient our injection of your own cells. And and even if it didn't work, you don't burn bridges. Right. And then from a safety standpoint, it's been extremely safe. We worry about infection. Like that's our primary concern. But what's interesting is by using a, a, a type of PRP with millions of white blood cells, we haven't had any infections using a leukocyte-rich PRP in the disc, which is really incredible. Not saying it can't happen, but we do all the steps to mitigate against it. And so, and the infection rate with fusions is so much higher. It's just, it's really, um, like think, think about that. You know, if the newer data is saying that our spines already have bacteria present, putting an implant in, in that area it's just going to increase the risk for biofilm and infections. And what most people don't realize is that, you know, when the spinal surgeon says my infection rate is, is one or 2%, that means patients who have really bad infections, meaning they have fevers, chills, wound drainage, like really bad sick infections. But there's another type of infection that most people don't realize. It's called occult infection which is a localized infection. And that's where the, when the implant is placed in the body, there's like a race to the surface. 
it's it's between normal cells to incorporate the implant or bacteria. And if bacteria win the race and create biofilm, then that, that implant never gets incorporated. And it's just a source of pain because your body is constantly attacking that, that foreign object with inflammatory proteins to try to get rid of it. But when there's biofilm, you can't get rid of the bacteria. So the only solution is to take the bacteria out. And there was a recent study at Hospital for Special Surgery by uh, my colleagues, Frank Camisa and Celeste Abdrinson. And what they did was they took those implants out from all these fusion patients that had persistent pain of unclear etiology. And they sonicated the surface and they cultured the material and found that bacteria were present in over 40% of those patients. And so, you know, this is a huge problem that's been underreported. And I think that um, my advice is to think really long and hard a bit before going for a spinal fusion for degenerative discs. Yes, you because... Know, if somebody's got a fracture that's unstable or a severe deformity that needs to be corrected, that's what these devices are made for. But it's really not made for degenerative disc disease. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Because again, I think when it's presented to the layperson, because that's often who the people are that are coming... It seems like this is a, you know, it's like, let's just glue this together and, and then you won't have this instability or pressure on your, and it, it sounds like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And I don't think people realize, yes, uh, we, all of these, um, there's a lot, a lot of um, consequences that wouldn't be ideal. And that, like the bacteria one alone, like the, even the, the fact that your body is spending this energy fighting this foreign object, it's like energy that you might not have a fever, but you might feel tired. You might be drained because it's like your body is having some kind of inner conflict that is not necessary. So I love that you're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. And a lot of those patients, I'm sure you've seen them, are on opioids. And Mm. so they're, they're, they're taking opioids for month after month and because they can't get off of them because the pain is so bad. And there was one study that showed that over 60% of patients after spinal fusion surgery are on opioids three months after their fusion surgery. So how is that a cure? How is that helping them? And I think now we're, we're understanding it's really most likely from biofilm on the implants that's causing the pain because, and that's, you know, that's the number one cause of loosening of spinal implants now is, is the biofilm. So biofilm meaning it's bacteria that is just kind of exactly hang it like it's like taken root. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's like a like a biofilm is like a force field that's protecting the bacteria from getting um, killed by our natural immune system. Ah, oh wow! That's what it is. It's like a it's a force field. Mm. It's a it's a protein layer that forms on the implant, and wow. so. Well, I love your message. I think everybody listening, I mean, probably everyone listening knows of someone, if it's not yourself, everyone knows of somebody who's had low back pain and probably falls into the category of some kind of, um, you know, disc issue. So check out this book, Heal Your Disc, End Your Pain. I mean, that is like such a great title too, which I'm sure took a while to come up with because that's like very succinct. Um, But it, then you really go into anything else you want to say about the book, um, why people should buy it, how they should give it to somebody, and how people can, like, we have people that listen from all around the world. They they aren't in New York. How can they get this 
if they need it um, somewhere else in the world? Do you have any uh, satellite clinics or sources where people can find um, doctors who are doing this ethically? There's a chapter in the book that that goes through how to research interventional physiatrists or interventional orthobiologic specialists. Um, and there are people doing this around the world. It's starting, you know, the, the paradigm shift is already occurring. And and this is not just a problem in the U.S. This is a global problem. You know, back pain is the number one cause of disability in the world. And the, it's been estimated that there's 580 million people in, in around the world with chronic lower back pain. Whew. And if you think 50% of that is from a problem with a disc, then you can see how large a problem is. But but that's what's so encouraging about the message of the book is that I think we finally have a solution for patients that can be scalable and safe and mm-hmm. opioid sparing and avoiding spinal fusions. And so I think, you know, I'm very excited about it. And I think that I hopefully the book was written with the intent that, that it would be understandable to the lay or non-scientist. And so far, the feedback's been very good. And and I think you can buy it on Amazon. It, I did do the Audible version. That comes out in a few weeks. Um, so if you don't want to read, the, the Audible version uh, is going to be out shortly. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy, very accomplished, and very passionate. And I hope that um, I see you very soon and and really see this wave turning of um, getting into this regenerative medicine that I we we just need we need we need a different approach and we need one that really feeds into this natural healing that we all have in our bodies and I think it would change just not just you know our attitude get rid of the pain but also this idea that. We're, we're, our bodies are working for us, and we're just going to give us some tools to do that. Um, there's so much more to add to that. Like I think ageism and all this, all all of these things contribute to the mindset, and I think this can really shift everything. And I, I hope that that happens sooner than later. Well, thanks so much for having me and and giving me the opportunity to share the message. And it's it's uh, it's an important message, and I think that um, if people have a difficult time maybe finding an interventional spine practitioner that does regenerative medicine, you know, they could um, always check out, you know, the Regenerative Sports Care Institute in New York. People come from all over the world. And, um, you know, the website is regensportscare.com. And we're happy to evaluate your candidacy for the procedure or refer you to someone who we might know who's good in your area. Oh, that would be great. I think that's very nice when you get the recommendation from the top. So everyone check that out. That'll be in the show notes. All this information, go buy the book, take care of yourself, believe that you can get rid of pain and feel so much better and and function and live with more joy. So thank you for being on here today. Thanks again. All right, everyone. As always, I'm pulling for you. 